0: Uh, Our speaker tonight is Father Jim Mason, Uh, many of you may know know Father Jim, he started Theology on Tap um, and he has spoken uh, many times at Theology on Tap. He's the director of vocations for the diocese, as well as the director of the Broomtree Retreat and Conference Center, which if you haven't been to, I encourage you to get to. I'd say go to one of the upcoming retreats, but I think they're filling up right now. Uh, But there are always more. They offer men's and women's and a couple's retreats at Broomtree, uh, so, uh, look for those ads in the Bishop's Bulletin, too. Uh, it's it's a beautiful place, spiritually and physically, that I would definitely recommend you take advantage of. Father Jim's going to be speaking on the Sacrament of Reconciliation tonight, uh, and what, w- what we'll do is he'll speak for 30, 45 minutes, and then we'll have Q&A afterwards. And I'm going to be running around with this microphone, so if you, if you have a question, just raise your hand, and I'll come and get you. The, the mic is for the video, uh, so you, you're going to have to still speak loudly, because... We want to make sure that everybody can hear. Uh, So that's going to be, again, after Father Jim's presentation. But right now, I'd like you to help me welcome Father Jim Mason. Okay,
1: let's start with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Lord Jesus, we ask you to send your Holy Spirit down upon us. Open our hearts and our minds. To have a greater appreciation for the gift of the sacrament of reconciliation, the sacrament of forgiveness, the sacrament which allows a more deeper union with you. Lord, we ask that this evening may be one in which we may do all things for your greater glory. In Christ's name we pray, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Well, what I'm going to do is break the talk down. This is actually like about a two-and-a-half-hour talk, so we're just going to jump around through different parts. This is not going to be a two-and-a-half-hour talk tonight. I'm going to hold to the boundaries, but we'll go a little start with apologetics, which is, in a sense, a reasoned defense of, of this teaching, scripturally, uh, culturally, different things like that, and then the second part will be on a, the spiritual side of it. So I'll take a look at my watch up here, and when I have to move on, I will. The first talk, The first part of the talk, I'm going to take a lot from Scott Hahn's book, Lord Have Mercy, which I would recommend for anyone. Actually, his whole series, excellent series, on understanding the faith. So let us move into the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Now, of the seven sacraments, if you are like anyone else, this is the sacrament that you dread. Or maybe, hopefully not, but humanly speaking, naturally, we often do. Because who wants to share their faults, faults, or admit their weaknesses to another. It's very difficult because we have a thing called pride. But remember, you know, this is this is a natural thing, but what we're called to do is live a supernatural life. A supernatural life, of course, in Christ. And if our goal is heaven, then Christ was clear in his example and words that the way of the cross is not primarily about comfort. St. John the Apostle told us if we are without sin, we deceive ourselves. You know, we, we have sin. Jesus means Yahweh saves. Okay, We begin every Mass with the, act, with the penitential rite because that, that is a, an admission that I need a Savior. Okay, if, if I don't have any sin, then Jesus is out of a job. And he, he's, he's got a job as long as there's sin in the world, and, and, and there is. And there is. You know? so, so this reality of sin, when we deny it, we begin to live a lie. And we all do this, we justify, we make alibis. Sometimes we just do it in our head. Sometimes we do it with our friends. Sometimes we do it, you know, in, in other forums. But we, I think we all have this tendency, and you could look back and, you know, read the first story of the Bible, Adam and Eve. And, and, and sometimes when you read those stories, you say, well, how could they do that? You know, how could they do that? And then you've got to stop and say, wait, I did that today. How many times did I do that today? You know, how often do we tell stories at work or at school or in our home, and we present only our side of the story? We may skip a few details or words that would show our responsibility in the matter, portraying ourselves as the hero or the innocent victim or the outspoken advocate for justice and right in the office or in the home. You know, the list goes on. We all do it, but does that make it right? I mean, we all taint the stories a little bit. Our friends and our families might believe us. believe us when we come home and we tell this story and soon the really dangerous thing can happen. We start to believe it. You know, that's when it gets dangerous. Like I said, this is only natural, but we're called to live a supernatural life. Not only called, with the grace of Jesus Christ, it's possible. It's possible with the grace of Jesus Christ. My favorite Thomistic uh, author is Joseph Pieper, philosopher. He wrote... The falsification of memory is one of our greatest enemies. He said there is no more insidio- insidious way for error to establish itself by this falsification of memory through slight retouches, displacements, discolorations, omissions, shifts of accents. We saying here it's really subtle, but we all do it. We all kind of change the story a little bit, and then it becomes part of us. Well, I'm not that bad. I'm pretty good. You know, I think I've told the story when, when we were on retreat when I was a seminarian, we had this old Jesuit, Father Joe Sheehan, saintly man, Monsignor McEnany and Bishop Carlson both said, he was the holiest priest they ever knew. And he started the retreat by saying, you know, the world is going to tell you, I'm okay, you're okay. And he said, the truth is, I'm an ass and you're an ass. And you know what? There's a truth in that. And it kind of shook us, but it's this reality, I need Jesus. I need Jesus, and I need his forgiveness. And so we move into this great gift of the sacrament of reconciliation. Let's go back to the beginning. Remember, Adam and Eve, they're perfect, perfect paradise, perfect wife, perfect job, perfect health. Everything is perfect. They get one rule, right? They cannot eat of a certain fruit of a certain tree. When they eat that fruit, they shall die. And in Hebrew, it actually says, they shall die, die. It says, the, it says die twice. Does that make any sense? How can you die twice? The greatest ancient Jewish commentator, Philo of Alexandria, explained that there are two types of death, the death of the body and the death of the soul. And he wrote, but the death of the soul is the decay of virtue and the bringing in of wickedness. And that's the death that Adam and Eve died, the decay of the soul and the bringing in of wickedness. See, they were meant, and we were meant to live in paradise, but sin has come in, sin is real. There's a solution to this. We'll get to it. So once again, back to the story. They can eat, you may eat freely of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall die. Once again, they ate it and nothing was the same. They are shamed, and they hide from their father. They hide from the father. And, and you know, take a step back and you look at, the, look at the story. You know, the father could have very easily, he's omnipotent, he knows what's going on. He could have said, hey, young man, hey, young woman, what do you think you're doing? Right when they're grasping the apple. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He, he gives them that freedom. Or he could have said, I saw that. You know, he could, he could have done like many parents rightfully do, but he could, have, he could have said that he didn't do that. Once again, he begins asking them questions. Does this make sense? This God knows everything. He knows, why, why, does he to, why does he have to ask the question, where are you? He's omnipotent, omnipotent, omnipresent. But he's a father. This is a relationship. And he desires something from them. He desires something. Where are you? Remember Adam's reply, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself." He's caught doing something and he's embarrassed. You know, he's basically, he moves on the defensive. Hey God, don't you knock? You know, I, I was doing this and you just showed up. He's revealing fear and shame and defensiveness and self-pity. Now the cover-up begins, the blame game. God responds, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And of course, we know that Adam That says, Yes, I ate of that tree, and I am sorry. He doesn't say that, does he? This is what we're getting to the point of, the father, all the father wants, and all any parent wants, is for the child to fess up. You give them opportunities, because you want them to say, I did this. And here's, here's God, the loving father, saying, Just say you did it. Just confess. But Adam doesn't do that. What does he do? He points the finger to the woman. Remember, you know, not not too long ago, at last, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, couldn't have been happier. He has a soulmate. He has someone. Now he's pointing the finger to her. And he says, you know, he says, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate it. Still, no judgment from God. He asks another question. Now he addresses it to Eve. What is it that you have done? Once again, going back to this desire of, the, of, of, of God to heal us. And like I said, this is, this is you know, the desire of God to not only heal us, but to live up to our dignity, the dignity that we have free will. Therefore, we can love or we can choose not to love. And so he's asking, come back on your own accord Say yes, and saying that the one example. One, you know, we have many examples, but we you know when I was in high school, I lived in Milan, Italy, and and um, I, you know, I one night I got home very late or very early, probably early in most clocks, it was probably about seven in the morning, and I got in, and uh, my mom came in around noon, and you know, Jim, how was how you doing? You know, how was your night? Oh, it was fine. It was fine. And I'm Like, okay, where's she at? Does, does she realize? You know. Well, what time did you get in last night? Oh, I got in really late. Really, Jim, what time did you get in last night? I said, oh, Mom, you know, I, you know and I wasn't, I was figuring, I think she's on to me. I said, Mom, I got in around 7 a.m. I said, the trains, in, in a big city like that, the trains closed before I could make the last train. And she was just, you know, she let me know that I need to tell her and whatever. But that idea of her wanting me, her desire to tell her the truth and to fess up, that's, that's God's desire for us, to say yes to him. This is all the way through salvation history. We can go with Cain and Abel. I can go through that story. We don't have time, but you follow the same pattern. His desire, fess up. You know, where is your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? You know, what God, this is here for a reason. God's teaching us something by this. Salvation history starts with the fall and God inviting us To confess and repent. It's a constant theme of the chosen people. Look at Leviticus chapter 5 verses 5 through 6. When a man is guilty in any of these, he shall confess the sin he has committed, and he shall bring his guilt offering to the Lord for the sin which he has committed, a female from their flock as a lamb or a goat for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for his sin. Now how many of you were aware that that's in the Old Testament? You know, how many out here were aware that that's in the Old Testament? I mean, this this is an important point. Jesus came to say, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fill it, to fulfill it. St. Augustine taught us that the new is concealed in the old, and the old is revealed in the new. God prepares his people. The Old Testament is everything is a prefigurement pointing towards Jesus Christ. Well, this is the same with the sacraments. This is the beauty of our faith. This is the treasures of the Catholic faith to delve into this, to delve into this and say, oh, look, God had prepared this all the way. And in the early Christians, because they were all Jewish mainly, they would have understood this. They would have made these connections. In the Old Testament, it's not an option. God insists on the individual confession of sin by his people. He gives sinners something to do, a sacrificial offering, a penance, but they must do this with the help of a priest. This is this is God preparing His people. Now these Old Testament acts of penance are not easy things. First, it would always be done at the temple of Jerusalem. I was watching one of the history channels. I didn't. The temple of Jerusalem was the largest building in the world at that time. Completed though, it only lasted five years, and then the Romans destroyed it. Completed, but. There's this humongous building where everyone would go. This is where you would offer your sacrifice. And so you would have to travel there. Traveling was not easy at that time. Bring your supplies. Depending on the type of sin, the type of sin and its gravity, you would have to bring that specific type of animal. It's like I said, a pigeon or a goat. But imagine this, you know, we're kind of sheepish about our sins walking through Jerusalem with a bull. What do you think people are saying? They're saying, I wonder what she did. You're walking through Jerusalem with a bull and you're going to the temple. They know what's going on. You know they, they, they know what's going on. It wasn't just this private act. And then at the inner court, you would tell the reason for your sacrifice. Then in front of the altar, someone would hand you a knife and you would kill and butcher the animal yourself. It would be bloody and it would be messy. You would hand pieces of the animal to the priest for burning. You would get the, gut the animal and purify the intestines from, intestines from waste matter. Probably this is more information than you want to know, but we need to know this. We have it a lot easier now. This is good. We can be grateful. You would sing penitential psalms while the priest caught the animal's blood and sprinkled it over the altar. All this made up the act of contrition, so the sinner would never forget. Of course, the sinner would sin again. We do, but they would come back to remember and, and, and to offer this up. You know, this is, once again, like I said, with the sacraments, we get a lot more. And we do a lot less because it's Jesus, because it's Jesus now. So, you know, speaking as a male, the prefigurement of baptism was circumcision. We do a lot less in baptism and we get a lot more than in the Old Testament, okay? And you can go all the way through that because now it's the fulfillment of it. It's the fulfillment of it and Christ does it for us if, if we come to him, if we come to him. So the question be, should we go back to the old way of doing it before Jesus? Absolutely not. We have a new and more powerful way called the Sacrament of Reconciliation. The Old Testament scholar Gordon Wenham, he's a Protestant scholar, he would write on these procedures in Leviticus and Numbers, and he says, using a little imagination, every reader of the Old Testament soon realizes that these ancient sacrifices were very moving occasions. They make modern church services seem tame and dull by comparison. The ancient worshipers did not just listen to the minister and sing a few hymns. He was actively involved in the worship. He had to choose an unblemished animal from his own flock, bring it to the sanctuary, kill it and dismember it with his own hands, then watch it go in smoke before his very eyes. It was both personal and public, humbling and costly. This was done once a year by the laity during Passover, and for the priest on the Day of Atonement. This confession was not private. It took place in the presence of the church, the assembly of Israel, or, and its delegates, the priests. And he says we could learn, we modern sinners could learn much from this. The other thing that this points to, once again, and, and it addresses the spirit of the day particularly strong today, is, is the reality of sin and the importance of facing the fact that there is sin in the world. You know, Bernard Matheson, who was the founder of NARAL, he, in, 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 um, abortion, of course, was legal in certain states before 1973. In New York, I think it was legal in like 71. And he founded NARAL in New York. He'd involved in tens of thousands of abortions. And he was a non-practicing Jew. He, through, um, through ultrasound, he came to find in the dignity of, and the reality of life. So he became pro-life. And then um, he became Catholic. And then we asked him why he became Catholic, he said, because it took sin seriously. And he said, my sin was very serious. And this reality, so did God. God took sin seriously. But it's not, you know, it, it, it's, for our, it's for the goodness is that, that the final answer, of course, is his forgiveness if we turn to him. If we turned him, so let's we'll go to the New Testament and kind of quickly here, go to the early church too. In the New Testament, the clearest, of course, passion is uh, uh, passage is John chapter twenty, verses twenty-two and twenty-three. Let's remember this is the night of the resurrection. Okay, so he's risen. It is Sunday evening. He comes through the door. The, this is a glorified body that can go through a door and eat bread. It's beyond the physical. And he comes and he peers before them and, and he says, peace be with you. You know, as the father has sent me, now I send you to the apostles. And he breathed upon them. And he said, whose sins you forgive are forgiven. And whose sins you retain are retained. Now the only other time they, they use this verb breathed upon, of course, is Genesis. Giving life a new power. Pointing to the apostles. This is, of course, the apostles understanding the Old Testament and the priesthood growing into this reality. Jesus has given a new power to them, the power to forgive sins. The power, of course, that he had is the Father has sent me. Remember one of the main criticisms against Jesus by the Pharisees? Who is this? Who is this who, who forgives sins? Only Yahweh, only Yahweh can forgive sins. No, Jesus can. And Jesus still does. But if he chooses to delegate it through his apostles, standing in persona Christos, in the person of Christ, that is, his authority, that is his power to do that. He desired to leave his physical presence uh, among us because uh, uh, the, sacraments, the fa- sacraments go to this reality that we are body and soul, okay? We're not angels. The angels don't need the sacraments, but the angels also don't have the joy of the sacraments. The angels... Uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe, if the angels could be jealous, they would be jealous because they can't have the Eucharist because they don't have a body. Uh, St. Francis de Sales said if they were to be jealous, remember angels can't be jealous. I don't know where this theme came up from, but he said they would be jealous because they can't suffer out of love because that's what Christ did. So back to this reality, the, 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 the reality of body and soul. The sacraments make sense not just scripturally, not just culturally, but let's say anthropologically, the fact that we are body and soul, we are human beings and God has given us something so we can know that we are forgiven because we doubt, so we can speak because we need to speak. So these, these fit our life. This power has exceeded, of course, what formerly belonged to the priests of Israel For rabbis in the Old Testament, they did have the power to bind or loose. That meant to judge someone, to be in communion with the chosen people, or cut them off from the group's life and worship. These Old Testament priests had the power to reconcile and to excommunicate. But Jesus extends this power to the apostles now, and he gives them his power. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. To exercise this power, they would have, we would, they would have to hear this, that the sins would have to be confessed aloud. First John, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, in, in the book of James, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So this, this, this reality of this need in Scripture and the New Testament is clear. It's also clear in the tradition of the church. What do I mean by that? The early church, the church fathers, how did the church practice this? What were the writings you know, in the first few centuries? And we have them. This is, this is important. I mean, as Catholics, we, 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 we need to be steeped in history because God is incarnate, God entered history and our faith goes 2000 years back. I mean, it was John Card, Cardinal John Henry Newman who said, you know, to be steeped in history means ceasing to be Protestant because that was his road that he took. He, he, brilliant, you know, Anglican priest, the best preacher of the 19th century, but he dove into the early church fathers. He said, this is Catholic. Chesterton said it a little more bluntly. He said, to be Protestant means to have a bad memory. Now, I don't, you know, he, but what he meant was, was going to the beginning and looking and reading And so we read the early church. On the Lord's day, gather together, break bread and give thanks. First confessing your sins so that your sacrifice may be pure. That's from the Didache, From the letter to Barnabas written around 70 or 80 AD. um, We we, we hear of the church assembling together. We hear of the penances being given. St. Ignatius of Antioch, I'll go through 107 AD. He writes... To all those who repent, the Lord grants forgiveness if they turn in penitence to the unity of God and to communion with the bishop. For as many are of God and of Jesus Christ are also of the bishop. And as many as shall in the exercise of penance return into the unity of the church, these two these shall belong to God that they may live according to Jesus Christ. What this goes against t- today's popular mentality is that it's just me and Jesus. It's never been that way. It's, it's Jesus and, and, and everything and everyone. God wills that all may be saved. But it's in union with the church. You know, his desire that we may be in the church. You know the, the, the pillar and truth, as Second Timothy says, you know, the church is the foundation the, of the pillar and truth. So we see this here in the early church. Understand, too, that the practices varied a bit. In, the old, in, in, in these first few centuries... Um, Penance was much more harsh. It was publicly spoken. That would have been in line with the Jewish, they would have been following the Jewish tradition. But um, that doesn't mean we should go back to that way. What this means is we hold on to the form. Um, What am I saying here? I'm saying there there was a heresy Pope Paul VI talks about I'm gonna mispronounce it, but it's called antiquarianism. Which, which means, basically, is this type of heresy saying, okay, because Jesus, you know, back in the first century, we have to do everything like they did. You know, Jesus wore beard, therefore Father Jim has to grow a beard, or, you know, every practice. You know, they didn't have churches. Christianity was illegal, so they had domus ecclesias. They had house churches, so we have to go to house churches. That just doesn't make sense. Paul the VI said, why would the oak tree want to go back to being an acorn? That's not even human, because as human, we learn, we grow, and we, we, we realize because we make mistakes, but we go in depth in our understanding of the Trinity, the Incarnation, all these great things. So that's human. So in the early church, you, you could have a form, where it was much more public, where penances were much more severe, bread and water for a year. Certain areas of the church, they would allow only one penance in your lifetime. For certain sins, they wouldn't allow a penance. You were out. They might not allow you to receive communion if you've committed a certain sin. So here was the church growing in pastoral charity and understanding and saying, no, you know, this sacrament is real and you are forgiven. Um, it was Pope Leo the Great. At that time, they would, they would divide, of course. Uh, they'd have men on one side and women on the other following a Jewish tradition. They would have uh, more of a public confession. And then the the... Receiving forgiveness from the priest, and a woman, or I a, said, a gentleman on one side. This is the, the story that's written that goes a gentleman on one side, you know, confessed the sin of adultery, and the woman on the other side fainted, his wife. And Leo the Great thought, you know, maybe for certain sins, maybe we should do them in private for, you know, for, for the sake of preventing public scandal, for the sake of charity, for the sake of. And so he started the, the his fifth century around that, that you can come to me. Well, it's probably a little intimidating to go to the Pope for confession. So he also said you could go to ha- go do abbots at, at the monasteries. And this began the tradition then for years of people almost exclusively going to the monastery. They began listening to confession anonymously, privately. And by the 7th century, this became the norm, you know, the anonymous confession. So what I'm saying here, the important part is it became more pastoral, more charitable but it held on to the basics, the essence. You know, the, the, some of these things can change. So you, when, it, when you have a reform, when you have a reformation, if it is a true reformation or a true reform, you have to keep the form, you have to keep the core. If it's not that, then it's a revolution. And so in all of these things, we've kept the form, kept the essence. So this is, this is the same sacrament of, of reconciliation that we, that we practice today. We'll go a little faster here now. Um, well, why don't we go to the spiritual side? I think that was, we, we had a, enough on the, the uh, apologetics. On the spiritual side, um, you know, why do, we, why do we need confession? You know, once again, because we sin. Chesterton had a great, you know, when he was asked to write a concise essay on what is wrong with the world and he sent it in and it said, it was two letters, I am, two words. What's wrong with the world, I am. So this is, this is, this is, this is where confession comes in. The number one problem in the world is me and my sin and, 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 and facing that um, and understanding. You know, understanding from the beginning that creation is good. God made everything and it is very good. Creation is a good thing. Sin, the devil, cannot create anything. He's a parasite. He attaches himself to something good. Before you have a bad apple, you have an apple. Okay? And this is Catholic theology 101, but we, have, we, we are created good in God's image. But then this thing attaches to ourself and God has given us a means for it to be cleansed, completely purified and cleansed. That's the sacrament of reconciliation. So we have it because we need it. Um, on the spiritual side of it, I'll talk a little bit about battling sin, something, you know, I've studied um, St. Ignatius's rules of discernment, the spiritual exercises, rules. And understand, Ignatian spirituality, it's not like Carmelite spirituality or, you know, Benedictine spirituality. When I, when I, the rules of discernment are universal. So the Benedictines, the Ignatian, the Jesu- or no, the Benedictines, the Carmelites, the Franciscans. They all use Ignatius's rules of discernment. Right? When I, what I mean by that is he, you know, through personal experience, personal prayer, uh, silence, he began to notice how the spirits work and the good spirit and the evil spirit. So there's a little background on that. So the, the, in this area of fighting sin, what I have found, kind of following St. Augustine maybe, is, you know, why do we sin? We sin because we like it. That's why we sin. St. Thomas Aquinas said we always choose the good. could be a false good. could be an apparent good. But at that moment, we choose it. We think it's good. now, Or it will bring us some type of pleasure. It can be a false pleasure. Once again, example. Adam and Eve grasping for the apple. At that moment of grasping, they felt good. They felt powerful. Bang. They pull it emptiness that's what sin that's what the enemy does packaging it boom pooling it emptiness so in battling sin what I have found in in trying to encourage people is that we have to tell the Lord that we no longer want the false pleasure often when we confess we confess the emptiness after the sin and we hold on to the back of our minds we kind of hold on to that false pleasure what am I talking about again? Another example. Maybe take the sin of gossip. Like, when we're gossiping, what's the false pleasure? Well, there's a thing that kind of comes up, and it's nice to have this information about somebody else, and I'm going to share it with this person, and we're going to be exclusive about it, and we're going to feel better than other people. We're going to have this thing. And there's a little false. There's something in there. It's real. And you've got to say, you got to say, Lord, I don't want that anymore. I'm tired of that feeling. I'm sick of it. Take it away from me surrendering, you know, or lust, you know, the objectifying of another. You know, there is a false pleasure. Oh, that, I could use that person in that part, and it builds up. And then maybe afterwards you feel the emptiness of it because it's always empty. But, but what we have to say is, no, that's what I don't want anymore, the false pleasure. And God won't leave us like, because this was St. Augustine. He said, who will I be if I don't have this sin? It's been part of my life Forever. And it was a scary thought. And, you know, the the answers will hopefully become the saint we're called to be. See, because it doesn't leave us, God just doesn't leave us like a vacuum. He then fills us. So, So chastity or purity is not a negation. Chastity and purity is not defined by lack of lust. No, Chesterton, just as like Chesterton said, you know, white is not a negation of color. It's a color itself. And he said, chastity is a fire like Joan of Arc. It's for something. Understand that? So, so we, the, the vices go down by us saying, I don't want that false pleasure anymore, and I want you to fill it with purity. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So I can be the saint that I'm called to be. What did St. Saint Philip, saint Philip Neri wrote, my Jesus, if you want me, cut the fetters that keep me from you.
0: So the primary
1: movement in this, what I'm, it, it goes to our will, and it goes to surrender. Never give a, I never give a penitent the advice, just try harder. Okay, because that's first, it's a sin of pride. We've got to surrender it. Be honest, Lord, this has control over me. I surrender It doesn't mean we don't try at all, but it begins in surrendering it to Jesus and inviting him in. That's when the victory will be won by Jesus. And His power, and by our turning to Him, and turning to Him in joy and not gloom, turning to Him in confidence. Teresa Lecieux, she's 24, dies of tuberculosis at 24. You know, right before her death, they're having a chapter when the sisters would get together and a chapter of faults, and the sisters would would talk about. Well, sister, you know, you, you snore too loud. Or that's actually not, probably not a sin. So maybe, you know, you do this or that. And they would, you know, talk. And, and so they could confront them and change. Um, so she's, she can barely breathe. And some of these sisters had some really nitpicky things. You know, and Therese doesn't say, hey, could you give me a break? I'm dying here. You know, could you lighten up? Therese doesn't do that. When that's pointed, she goes back to her cell. She says, look, Jesus, my love, more flowers for you. My sins, because Jesus means Yahweh saves. So here are my sins for you. You can't refuse me now. This is is your purpose. She goes to Jesus with confidence, and she turns the tables on the devil because the enemy, of course, wants us to beat ourselves up and make it about us. I'm stronger than this. I'm better than this. No, you're not, but Jesus is. If we turn to him, that's where the victory will be won. She wrote, St. Therese wrote, Since it has been given to me to understand the love of the heart of Jesus, I confess that all fear has been driven from mine. Later she wrote, I confine in Jesus. I relate to him in detail my infidelities, thinking in my daring abandonment to acquire in this way more power over his heart. And to win more fully the love of Him, who is not to come, who has not come to call the just but sinners to repentance. Do you see? She's the little child because it's like if a little child does something wrong and he runs or she runs to you and says, "Daddy, you know, I I did this." How can you, you know? How can anyone refuse that child? You know? How can anyone? And, and certainly God and she understands that. She understands that. The devil would sap her confidence by making her conscious of her faults and failings and so hinder her progress to perfection. She completely turns the tables on him. Deliberately, she directs her attentions to her failings, gathers them together, leaves them at Jesus' feet as a demonstration of her helplessness and pursues her way to sanctity. Her confidence only increased by this fresh realization of her weakness, which she calls a great grace. This is so different. I I mean, this is why she's a doctor of the church. This is why she's such a great saint of our day. Because because we need it. I mean, I don't know if there's anyone in here that looks at sin in that way. I mean, but that's the way we need to do. That the victory is is in the turning to Jesus in confidence. Complete confidence. Um, Maybe one more quote, finally, that I want to talk about. This is from... uh, Hans Earls von Balthasar, probably one of the greatest theologians of the last century. And this goes to that that reality of the will. And this is the battle. He wrote, sin is precisely this, that I do not want what God wants. And I can't see how this opposition on my part could be broken. I can't see how this prison wall, which holds me captive, could be pierced through. Do you know what I mean, Lord? It isn't easy to explain this to you, for I myself don't exactly know how it occurs. At first, everything is simple. I see that I cannot do what I would like to do. Two, I know precisely what I ought to do. You have often told me yourself. The priest has often told me. I have told myself. You know, we know what sin is. I mean, it's not for lack of knowledge. We know what it, you know, we know what we're not supposed to do or what we're supposed to do since it's a commission, since it's a mission. The problem, of course, is, is we don't do it. And here's Van Balthasar saying, you know, well, what's that issue here? Well, it's the will. He says, the interior man indeed takes joy, takes joy in God's law, but I am aware of another law in my members that wars against the law of my spirit and holds me in prison under the law of sin, which reigns in my members. This is St. Paul, you know, you know, why can't I do what I want to do? You know, oh wretched man that I am. And so where's the victory? And this is why I cry out to you from the depths of my prison of unwilling, make me want, make me want. So if we're struggling with any type of particular sin, that's where it begins. That's where victory begins is saying, Lord, make me want to no longer have that sin lord take away i i I no longer desire that false pleasure i surrender it to you there's incredible healing and freedom in that and and change is slow we're not angels angels are like that we're human beings so it takes time but the sacrament of reconciliation is this great great gift within that because we not only receive forgiveness but we receive god's grace and slowly, slowly, but surely, because it's God's desire, it just has to be our desire too, we become more and more in the image of, of both beloved son, beloved daughter. We become more and more in the image of, 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 of who God has made us to be. So we'll end right there, and we'll go to questions, because I think I'm pretty much out of time. Chris gets some exercise. That was good. He needed it. Any questions? That's fine if, if, if there are That's great. All the way on the other side. <laughs> Keep doing this back and forth. We'll we'll watch Chris get again. <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> yeah. There you go. Okay.
2: Um, Father Jim, could you comment on um, maybe? dealing with or finding peace for the consequences of sin? You know, like after repentance, after accepting forgiveness um, and really truly believing that that forgiveness has come and you've been given the grace of God um, but then you're left with consequences of your sin. Um, is there um, you know readings to turn to or you know just ways to maybe find that peace or um. that's a
1: good question um, I mean cuz yeah there there are consequences of sin our, our actions have consequences there's that one movie maybe uh, the, the Apostle starring Robert Duvall and he was brought up in a, a fundamentalist the actor if you know a fundamentalist family Robert Duvall in this movie, and Farrah Fawcett Majors was in it, he was the lead actor, he was the writer of the movie, and he was the producer of the movie. And in it, he's a fundamentalist preacher, and he um, basically, in a drunken rage, kills his wife's lover, and then he just hightails it out of town, and rebaptizes himself, and starts a new career in the South, You know, again as an evangelical preacher, because under that theology, he's been washed away again, and yet he hasn't dealt with any of the consequences. In Catholic theology, we have to deal with the consequences. Some of them, though, you know, once again, are, are beyond us. And, and, and so, you know, we do what we can. And then it was St. Philip Neri when somebody was questioning him about the sin of gossip. And he said, well, go take a pillow. And in, in, in Rome, it was very windy and the pillows were made out of feathers. And he said, now rip it open, <sighs> feathers everywhere. And he said, now go collect every feather. She's like, well, I can't do that. And he said, well, actually, that's the, go- that's the consequence of gossiping. Now, he wasn't trying to just beat her, beat her down, but he was trying to say, make point. point. And so, you know, we do what we can, and then we trust in the mercy and love of God and his inc- all-powerful love and mercy. And in that situation, too, what I would ask is to begin to discern what is the spirit that is saying to you, you know, know, you, you haven't done enough, or look what you did, uh, Ask you know, begin to say, is this the accuser? Is this the accuser accusing me now? Because, you know, ultimately for any of us, we, we can't make, once sin has started that awful, we, 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 you know, we can't stop it, but we can throw ourselves at the feet of Jesus and trust. Jesus I trust in you. So I think more of your question actually deals with the spiritual discernment of what is that voice that's saying that, that, that you know, is keeping you, making you hang on. Sometimes it's pretty, we're pretty comfortable at beating ourselves over and saying, you know, well, no, I'm not gonna, but, but then saying, well, you know, is, is, is that Jesus? You know, the, 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 and this is, once again, the need for a physical sacrament, to have confidence in that and saying, no, Jesus said, and he breathed upon them, and he said, who sins you forgive are forgiven, and who sins you retain are retained. And we had the, and we had the laying of the hands in the apostolic succession. And that was 2000 years ago, but it's the same power and that's Christ. And so he's greater than any consequence. You know, greater is he who is in me than he who is in this world. And this is Christ who's come. So that might help. Maybe not. It's a good question. <laughs> any other questions? Is that, or do you want to follow up or? I think it goes more to the discernment spirit and i would advise that person to then talk to a priest in spiritual direction or talk to somebody in that area because this is another um oh you know uh, the, the enemy wants to keep things in the dark you know when we shine the light on it the divine physician you know when we allow the physician to shine his light on it then there can be healing if we keep it in the dark we keep it in our head we just keep it here at dark dark then the enemy can just get these voices boom 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 so sharing this you know father I know you know, I went to confession on this, but this is still bothering me and, and, and listening for some spiritual advice. What is that spirit? And, and, and allowing God to shine his light on it for healing. You know, a great book in this area is the Screwtape Letters. You know, because you see C.S. Lewis does a great job of showing how the enemy works and kind of moves, always trying to move us. So you've been forgiven. The enemy's like, okay, but now I got her on this. I'm going to keep her moving away from, from God by doubting him by doubting his power, by doubting his reality, by doubting the power of forgiveness. But they, you know, they, okay, does that... Okay, we'll go. Andy.
2: I got a question about penance. Um, if the
1: priest continually gives you a penance of, um, like a Catholic prayer, the Hail Mary, something like that, and it doesn't draw out the penance, is there something better that We could ask a priest to do or do ourselves um i'd be a little careful in that area um i I think you're right there's probably some room for creativity for some priests in the area of penance you you might want to move you could you could go first of all understand that the, the sacrament is you know is the fullness of the sacrament has the effect okay Christ has spoken those words. The penance is a good part of it, but it's not an essential part of it, but it's a good part of it. And your, your desire is like, I want, I want something more. Part of that penance could be humbly submitting to that and saying, okay, Lord, I surrender my desire to do more, to get more out of it. Because um, what the danger could be is we could start creating our own alter you know, ego thing of going, you know, look at the story of the prodigal son. You know, he's got it all mapped out. Father, I'm gonna do this. This is gonna be my penance. I'll work for you as a slave, I'll boom, 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 this, that, and what happens, you know? He, Father throws his robe on him, he, you know, he just embraces him. I'm not saying penance, I, you know, when I give a penance, I'm, I'm trying to listen to move towards the, maybe one particular sin and help of movement away from that sin. And so there's no reason you can try different confessors. But I'd also be aware of not trying to, you know, build up your own altered reality, because that can be very dangerous. You know, now I'm gonna do this. And that, you move towards Pelagianism, you know, and Pelagius was a fourth century Irish monk who taught you could work your way to heaven. And the church condemned it and said, no, it's God's grace. And then of course, as human beings, um, we came up with semi-Pelagianism. And they said, the semi-Pelagius said, Well, okay, you can get baptized, you have to get baptized. But after baptism, you can work your way to heaven. The Church said, no, you can't work your way to heaven. Faith and works, you know, go hand in hand. This isn't this and that, but it's ultimately the grace of Jesus Christ. And so ultimately, you you are forgiven through the grace of Jesus Christ. But you know, the penance can help in addressing it. So I I don't know how a priest would take it if you, you, you could, you'd have to judge that relationship, okay? Any other questions? Right here. I, should I give her my mic? Would that work or not? Okay.
0: Well, I know before you receive the Eucharist, you're supposed to be in a state of grace. But um, I guess I'm wondering because different priests say different things. It seems like, like, if I go to confession at cathedral, like, there's like two people there, you know, and it's like. So I don't know, how bad are your sins supposed to be? or, I mean, is it supposed to be, if only you break the Ten Commandments, that's when you really have to be going to confession, and otherwise you can go whatever? Okay, uh,
1: it's, a, it's a good question. I mean, underlying the question, I'd say one thing I want to direct, because we have a naturally almost... Uh, um, a minimalistic attitude. Uh, we all have that, I think it's part of our culture, how it would be like, what's the least I can do to get to heaven? Because I'm just gonna squeak in. I mean, many of us, many people have that. And it's really kind of a, an attitude of, 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 of one, that of nominalism of, of you know, just saying, okay, the 10 commandments, and I just, as long as I don't do that, I'm okay. But remember Jesus came with the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are they, we're actually for something. Um, so, so, the moral life is for something. It's really important with kids that, you know, you know when, so, so, so they understand that chastity is once again not just not doing something, it's, it's being who you're made to be. It's a fulfillment of your personhood. It's for something. So, in the life of, of, of confession, to understand this is for something, not just against something. Uh, if we are in a state of mortal sin, you can just look at the catechism, there are certainly the Ten Commandments, you know, serious sins, then we need to go to confession before receiving the Eucharist. Um, only two people, you know, and you've got the whole cathedral there, you could be saying, come on, where, you know, okay, there's a lot, maybe a lot of ignorance out there, maybe a lot more preaching needs to be done, but ultimately we just, we can only care for our own soul. And so if I know I have serious sin, Uh, You know, then it's like, you know, sometimes I take a shower because I really stink. Okay, that'd be mortal sin. Other times I take a shower to wake myself up to get kind of that'd be venial sin that helps me. You know, you receive, but you receive graces from it to help you on this journey of perfection. So, you know, heaven is not the same for everyone. This is another because we we have a society that's uh, you know, egalitarianism kind of rules the the equality of results over the equality of opportunity. This this thing that everything is the same, everything has to be the same. No, Jesus said, my father's mansion has, you know, many rooms. He said, you know, this guy gets five talents, two talents, one talent. Mary's full of grace. She has more grace than I'll ever have. Her experience of heaven is fullness. is, is fullness. But at St. Therese, you know, when, when her sister was asking her to explain, you know, heaven, you know, it, it, our, our time on earth, we, we, we determine our experience of heaven. What I mean, the, the amount that you open up your soul to receive Jesus, that's, you're, you're, heaven will be full for you, but how full? How full do you open? Part of helping yourself open is going to the Sacrament of Reconciliation for something. Not just do I have to go, but I wanna go. Um, Saint Anthony Marie Claret, he said, listen, Everyone receives the same communion. So why doesn't everyone act the same? And he said, let me show you an example. He said, like it's in nature when you graft a plant. He said, the more the two plants are alike, the more successful the graft will be. And he says, this is what communion is like. The more you are like Jesus when you receive communion, the more efficacious, the more fruitful that communion will be. The sacrament, because it gives us grace, makes you more Christ-like, empty, and open to receive the grace of the Eucharist. So it is a good thing to receive, even if you're not in a state of mortal sin. Does that help? I mean, I, I address more of the, the positive side of it, but there is a reality that, yes, many people, we, need, we have lost this sacrament, and we need to regain it. It's, it's a phenomenal gift, and it's a good thing. Any danger of going too far the other direction? Sure, sure. I mean, listen, the virtue is always in the mean. And what that that, that means is it doesn't mean like, oh, you know, I'm a moderate. I don't you know, because we don't moderately sin or we don't moderately, you know, do bad things, you know, it's, but the virtue is in the mean means that on both sides we're always gonna get attacked. So, especially in this area, sometimes Women have a propensity to be scrupulous. Sometimes men have a, this could be a whole another evening of talk on male and female, but men have a propensity to be lax, laxity. You know, they don't think, you know, at Broomtree, I tell the women are kind of fearful of the silent retreats, but you know, they, the men are apathetic. They don't think they need it. I, it's a lot easier to deal with fear than it is with apathy. Because apathy, this is the first rule of philosophy. First rule of philosophy. Um, Ignorance is better than error, honest ignorance. Got a kid here, two plus two, kid tells me I don't know, this kid tells me it's five. It's a lot easier to deal with the kid that said I don't know than the kid that said five, because I got to break down the error. So with the men, I got to break down the error of apathy, because they need to know that they need this. And then, you know, and with the women, they, I think they have a, they, they're naturally spiritual. And they, I think, you know, we, we do need this, but I'm afraid of it. Okay, well, let's deal with that fear. Okay? So there is, so, so there can be scrupulosity, too, without a doubt. And that's where the confessor would, can help you with that. You know, we, 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 we have those types of things. And that's the enemy, you know, just boom, boom. Any other questions?
2: I'm sure this is a a topic that would take another whole evening to thoroughly cover. But when you think about reconciliation, forgiveness, cleansing of sin, could you—is there any way to comment briefly on the church's teaching of why purgatory?
1: Uh, Why purgatory? You know, first of all, once again, like I started, purgatory is an act of mercy, and because we need it, it's not God doesn't need it. We need it as being. Made body and soul, and this fact that we still adi- die often uh, attached to something other than w- what is not God. The four last things: death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Purgatory is part of, in a sense, part of heaven. I think we often connect it to hell, but in um, you know, scripturally they, we we speak of being saved as if through a fire. You know, this cleansing fire. There are, the, there, are there are those who will be saved as if through a fire. You know, that's a purifying love of still holding on to something, you know, th- th- this reality. Samuel Johnson, the famous Protestant Englishman, you know, Boswell was writing his writings on that, and, and, and he, he said, you know, purgatory makes absolutely, you know, makes absolute sense. He said, it just means that, you know, in, in this world of ours, there are very few people that are so holy that they go straight to heaven. And there are also many that are are not, you know, that there aren't that, they're not, well, we don't know the numbers, but that would go straight to hell. But the fact is a lot of us are kind of in between and we still hold on to something. We still hold on to something that isn't God. We still have false idols, you know, in in, in this cleansing of that. So it's, C.S. Lewis writes of it, and he says, you know, It's basically, you know, God could say, yeah, come in here even though you're dirty and even though you smell a little bit and everyone else is clean, you know, come on in. And and the person says back, no, actually, I'd prefer it if you just scrubbed me. I know it might hurt a little bit, but if you just scrubbed me and cleaned and purified me so I could be perfect and in you and of you. So, it's you know, a belief of the early church, very clear. Uh, the book of Maccabees, of course, the, the, the belief in praying for those who have di- died and then this idea of that reality. So that would be a whole... We did a... a, a, uh, a what's the college here? Uh, Augustiana. I did a night pizza in purgatory. And it was interesting because I found out like 75% of the people there were not Catholic. Hey, great questions. And I went through scripture and we just went through... We've probably done purgatory here, I think. Yeah. But is that, does that help? Any other questions? Okay, thank you.